raise a hand if you can look back on this week. Yeah, already you know you're going to testify of his faithfulness, that you can think that God has been faithful. Would you show your hands? I know it's every one of you because he is a faithful God, isn't he? And he carries us and he is our help, right? This is what he's promised. Jesus said as he was comforting his disciples, I'm going to go and I'm going to send you a helper 
counselor and it's it's going to be better and you can't even quite imagine life without me but it's going to be better that the holy spirit comes and guides you and remembers the things that i've taught you and church we live with that holy spirit amen it is, it is literally the life and breath of, of everything that we are is to be guided and helped by the Holy Spirit. He is faithful. Let's continue singing about his faithfulness this morning. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father.
so many ways we've we've just sung our prayer God that you you are our hope <laughs> you 
You are our strength. You are our guide. We trust you. In so many ways, we just, we ascribe you all the praise and the glory and the honor that you do. Because of your, your greatness and your might and your faithfulness, God, we can have this peace in our hearts, Lord, and we can, we can rest as we trust in you. And this, this is what you call us to, God, not just based on our feelings, but God, based on the truth that we find in your word of who you are and whose we are. God, sometimes we do let our feelings kind of rule. And sometimes we do feel lost in the ocean waves and forget to drop our anchor that is you. And God, I just, I know there's so many burdens that have been brought into this place. And Lord, I, my hope and prayer is that through, through worship and through the hearing of your word and through uh, the communion of the saints gathered together, God, that, that we would carry each other's burdens, that we would lift each other up that through our testimony of who you are, God, that we would be uplifting and encouraging to others. Lord, may we have eyes to see each other. Lord, I pray um, for the remainder of this service as we, as we continue um, and hear from, from Pastor Brian the words that you've laid on his heart. God, where our hearts just remain fully open um, to the way that you want to speak and move to us. Um, we just, we love you, Lord, and we want our lives to look like that. My four-year-old for the last month, every day, has been asking, is it summer yet? Is it summer yet? And he couldn't wait for school to be out so that he could say that it was summer. Because in his mind, summer means he gets to go on vacation. And he can't wait to go to the beach. So he thought we were going on the beach tomorrow because it's now officially, quote-unquote, summer. I'm ready for that too, son, but not quite yet. It's also the time of year where now it's okay to wear white. Finally, you can wear white. And so it can be fashionably kind of in the in crowd. Uh, the pools are now open, finally. So now you can go swimming without feeling like you're crazy or, or weird for swimming when it's cold outside. But most importantly, it's now officially grilling season. Perhaps you've already experienced some of that in your neighborhood yourself, or rather from your neighbors, and you've just uh, smelled the smells or you've tasted the taste, and it's been an exciting time of year. But in my mind, in my life, it's grill envy season. I just have a normal uh, propane grill. So many others have what they call the egg or the blackstone, or maybe they have a nice charcoal grill, or maybe even a smoker, depending on what your preference might be. And, and I'm learning through talking to many of my friends or even neighbors that there's a lot of creative things you can do, not just with a grill, but with a smoker. You may be, it's, maybe it's pork or it's chicken or salmon or cheese. You can even smoke cheese. Who would have thought of such a thing? Vegetables, you can smoke vegetables. First service, I was joking around, like, I know you can deep fry an Oreo, but I had no idea you could smoke an Oreo. That's what I found out. <clears throat> if one of you would like to fire up your smoker this week and let me try that, I would be willing to do that so I can let everybody know how a smoked Oreo tastes. I've been told they're really quite good. I'll believe it when I taste it. I look forward to it. Time of year you go to the store, depending on the store you go to, you might see shelves such as this lined with rubs and marinades and sauces and, and, and things that help us with this beautiful season of grilling that we're stepping into. A time where we fire things up, where you see the smoke rising from your neighbor's backyard, get excited about the taste of what's to come. Now, I admit that I'm an amateur when it comes to grilling. To be honest, I'm not very good at it yet. I'm learning. Truth is, I've burnt more meals or undercooked more burgers and dried out more chicken than I care to admit. But I'm, I'm still learning. And one of the things I've learned in recent years that I wish someone would have told me a long time ago is that low and slow is really the way to go. That's the way we always need to start out. Take our times. I don't do steak very often. The reason is because I'm not very good at it. I don't want to burn up the investment. But as I get a little bit better, I'm starting to venture out and to try more things. And what I've discovered through all of this is that where there's smoke, there's fire. I used to fire up the charcoal grill, and the more uh, lighter food you put on there, the better. Thinking it would get done faster and you could get to your meal quicker. I'm learning that's really not the case. Several years ago, I worked 
uh, for a company, and I was traveling. I was up in Green Bay, Wisconsin, and my coworkers they couldn't wait to take me to a certain steakhouse. We go to the steakhouse, and you walk in, kind of like a buffet line. You walk down the line, and you get to pick your piece of meat. Had them all on the shelf. You picked which one you want, how thick you wanted it. And then you would go to this giant charcoal grill on the inside of the restaurant. There were guys lined up around the grill. Had they picked their spot, and I was looking for the spot where the coals were burning the hottest. Wanted them to burn the brightest. I threw my steak on there, and I couldn't wait. I was so hungry. I wanted that thing to cook fast. Problem is, I, I first side looked really good. I flipped it over, did the other side, got back to my table, cut the steak open, and it was not done. Outside looked good. Inside, not so much. Now, that might be your flavor of steak. It wasn't for me. So I had to go back to the charcoal grill, and I did to do it again. What I ended up doing was overcooking it. It wasn't as good as I had hoped it would be. And next to me sat my coworker who took his time. He found a spot that wasn't quite so hot. He waited a little bit longer than I did. And he had a much better meal. I got to partake in that. See, I make mistakes. I, I try to get it done quickly. The, the, the smoke that I wanted didn't match what I wanted to produce. The evidence that was on my plate wasn't so good. A lot of lessons still to learn. One thing I have discovered, where there's smoke, there's always fire. Smoke is evidence of something that's burning. Smoke is evidence of, of something that's being consumed. And as we enter in this new conversation together, we're going to talk about holy smoke. Holy smoke that comes from a holy fire. And all throughout Scripture, we see God reveal himself and his power through fire, through smoke. From this conversation with Moses at the burning bush, God shows up. Through the pillar of fire that, that God uses to lead the Israelites through the wilderness, God's presence shows up. From answering Elijah's prayer by sitting down fire from heaven to burn up the offering and Elijah's competition with the prophets of Baal, God shows up. The destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah for their wickedness, fire from heaven, God shows up. The Old Testament is filled with fire, filled with God. And in the New Testament, we see God's Son show up, who tells of a new expression of God's presence, the form of the Holy Spirit. This gift, this promised counselor, shows up at Pentecost. And we're given the assurance that God is always with us. As our hearts burn within us as they did in the hearts of those on the road to Emmaus, there remains a Holy Spirit. Those who walk with God, those who have been purified through the work of the Holy Spirit, there remains holy smoke. There's a burning within us that still today produces smoke. What kind of smoke do others see around us? What kind of flavors or smells or aromas do our lives produce? Over the next four weeks together, once we get past Grad Sunday and General Assembly, we're going to talk about holy smoke. Uh, four conversations. We're going to talk about smoked pork and grilled hot dogs and burgers and barbecue. And just as I did with God's at War, where every week for your spiritual growth, I tried a new type of pizza in our community just so I could share with you what God was doing or, or what flavors or different styles we liked and didn't like. For the next four weeks, I promise to you that I'm going to try a different barbecue, a different smoked something, a different flame grilled steak, all for your spiritual growth. Church, there's no limit to how far I'll go for you. <laughs> My pleasure. <laughs> but in it, we're going to learn something. And what we have to learn today, it's pretty important. Now, for many of us, when January comes around every year, create these resolutions. I've, some are personal, some perhaps are spiritual. Maybe you at one point or another have decided, you know, I'm going to resolve this year to read through God's Word. You get off to a great start because Genesis is full of great stories that, that kind of draw us in. And it's this great foundation of what God's trying to do and, and why He created mankind and, and, the, and the, the lengths that He goes to to draw men back to Him and into a relationship with Him to overcome the sin of Adam and Eve in the garden. And it's the great beginning of the story. And you're reading really well, you're reading faithfully until you get to about March when you hit the book of Leviticus. Get to Leviticus, and all of a sudden, the action slows down. The, the conversation gets a little bit confusing. And we, we find that Leviticus tends to cause us to often throw our resolutions out the window. But if all of Scripture is for our spiritual growth and for edification, how can a book full of sacrifices and rules and blood and 
things we're to do and celebrations. How does that relate to us today? I think the disconnect, why Leviticus is so hard, difficult, or challenging for us, that we begin with the wrong question. If my life's purpose is to live in the presence of God, and it is, if my life's purpose is to uh, become the person he wants me to be, that he created me to be, and it is, if my life's purpose is to fulfill his will for my life and to bring him glory, and it is, then I have to begin with this idea of how do I first come to know who he is? How do I approach God? How do I walk in relationship with him if I can't even get close to him? How does a person like me, with all my stuff, junk, my baggage, my, my failures, my inadequacies, how do I even begin to live in a face-to-face relationship with my Creator? That's where Leviticus becomes important. Leviticus lays the groundwork for helping us learn how to approach Him, how to be close to Him, how to be the person He's created and calls us to be. That's the reason for Leviticus, is it answers the fundamental questions about who God is, but also about who we are, and then how the two relate together. So in this series that we're going to be talking about, in this conversation we're going to be having, we're going to be looking about how we can apply this remarkable and mysterious book to our everyday lives, and how everything in it is truly helpful for for our spiritual growth, for our spiritual benefit. This is the real stake that we're going to bite into, is this book of Leviticus. This next conversation we're going to have these next several weeks will be a helpful one. One that we get to know God, get to know us, get to know how we can walk face to face. We jump to chapter 19, book of Leviticus. In chapter 19, we, we see this a kind of rehashing, if you will, of, of the Ten Commandments. Now, I've talked many times to you before that how Scripture is often linear. How Jesus' teaching is linear, it's progressive, it builds on itself. When we talk about the Ten Commandments, and we could list all ten, we could recite them, but the key is learning to recite them in order. Because they build on one another. We can't get number four right without getting number one right. You can't get number seven right without getting number three right. They build on one another. They're important to know them linearly in, in, in the right context, in the right order. So God gets to verse two of chapter 19. And he tells Moses, speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, be holy as I am holy. Be holy because I, the Lord, your God, am holy. Be like me. Follow my example. Do the things I do. Say the things I say. Be a reflection of who I am. And ultimately, this is what we see in the Ten Commandments. The very first one is, I shall have no other gods before me. Walk with me, God says. Get to know me, God says. Take on my characteristics, God says. Be holy, because I am holy. Now that in itself might be a little off-putting. Might create some fear in us. How can the world, can I be holy as God is holy? It's, it's not an invitation to separation. Rather, it's an invitation to intimacy. To be like him. Go back a little bit, chapter 17, and here's what we see in Leviticus. We see in chapter 17 how the eating of blood is forbidden. So those of you who like to eat your steaks raw, be careful. We see in Leviticus, you're not supposed to do that. Chapter 18 talks about unlawful sexual relationships in the eyes of God, and God spells out for us what is right and what's not right when it comes to our sexual relationships. Our world would like to tell us something different, but we see in God's instruction what's real and what's not. It's not an Old Testament teaching. It's a real living teaching for us today. It's an invitation for us to be holy as he is holy by reflecting and doing the things that he tells us to do. But there's a verb that he uses, be. Be holy. Be speaks to this idea of becoming of being like, of existing or abiding with, to accompany. It speaks to location, where one is physically located, where you are being at. When, when shook out, when, if God were to pick us up and to kind of shake us out, and all of the, the fringe stuff would fall off, be is what will be left over. We are to be holy. When everything else is pushed away, what's left, and the holiness of God is what is to be left in our lives. Verses 5 through 8 of chapter 19, if you keep reading, you get into this idea, this invitation, this, this call to sacrifice. What the sacrifices that God instructs us to make, what they're to look like, what they're to represent. So here we see in Leviticus the very first grilling season, if you will, in Scripture. And this idea of being implies ultimately the sacrificing of ourselves. 
So God is inviting us to be holy as He is holy, and it begins with us offering ourselves fully to Him. It's an Old Testament calling. We see a God throughout all of the Old Testament chasing after His people, doing all that He can to draw His people close to Him, doing all that He can to, to take away the barriers that are preventing His people from coming to Him. And what His creation does, ultimately, is they get it wrong. They recreate His laws. They redefine what God intended. And instead, they take an inwardly focused law, and they distort it, they make it an externally focused law. They make it about the appearance or what we do on the outside without changing or allowing their hearts to be transformed. God's work is always from the inside out. What we see throughout the Old Testament is his people taking it and making it from the outside in. External instead of internal. Used the law and distorted it. Make it fit their own priorities, their own preferences. Instead of us being holy as God is holy. Even going as far as rewriting it, and God be holy as changing, never quite measuring up, always falling short. Then we get to the New Testament. Jesus is on the scene. He said the only Son of God has been sent, and it is born of the Virgin Mary, and he grows up, and at 30 years of age begins his earthly ministry for three years, which ultimately leads him to the cross, the cross where he is crucified. He dies, he's then buried in a tomb where after three days he rises again, shows himself to his disciples, appears to the apostles for, for the next 40 days, meets with them on the mountainside before his ascension, and he gives them this great commission, and he tells them before he ascends, go back to Jerusalem and wait. I'm going to send you a counselor. I'm going to send you what God has promised. I'm going to send you a spirit that's going to help you to fulfill what my God called you to do all the way back in Leviticus. Be holy. I'm holy. We read in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in the tongues or the languages of those in the city at that time as the Spirit enabled them. Beautiful. We see the Holy Spirit show up. The Holy Spirit's being poured out. Now, I, I don't know this for, for sure, but in my studies, one of the things I feel like I've come to realize is we will often as a church pray that God would pour out His Spirit. God, pour out Your Spirit. God, show up, pour Yourself out on us. Church, He already has. The Spirit's been poured out. So the prayer where we ask God to pour out His Spirit, kind of be, that's, kind of a, that's kind of a weak prayer. And what I mean by that is this. We want God to come and just show up and fix things and make us feel good. He's already done that. What we should be praying is, God, help us to recognize your poured out spirit. Help us to see or to hear and to respond to the spirit that's already here. Instead of you just coming to fix it, God, what might I need to do to get the, the junk in my life out of the way that I could recognize your poured out spirit? Significant moment in life of the church one that we probably don't celebrate and recognize enough. But I want us to understand the setting a little bit. Go backwards in the Gospels, just a few chapters. Matthew chapter 14. Actually, we see it in all four Gospels. If you like to study that, you can see it's the only miracle recorded in all four Gospels. Where Jesus is on the mountainside, he's got five loaves and two fish, and he breaks them apart. He feeds thousands. Literally thousands. 5,000 men, Scripture tells us, not counting women and children. So if you add those in there, end up with about fifteen to 20,000 people Jesus feeds that. The crowd is falling in love with Jesus. When the triumphal entry, Jesus is marching into the city and the crowds hear that he's coming. They go and they lay down their coats and they cut off the palm branches, lay them in front of the, Jesus as he, as he arrives. They're celebrating their coming king, if you will, and the crowd is excited. Jesus is really good at drawing a crowd. But after his resurrection... After he gives his commission to his disciples, to the believers, they're to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Jesus then instructs them to go. He ascends into heaven and the believers do what Jesus tells them to do. They return to Jerusalem. And, and during this 10-day gap, they're waiting and they're praying. They're in this upper room. that They're still kind of afraid. And that they don't want to go out and talk too much about what's happened. 
They're unsure what might happen to them if they profess to still be a believer. So they're waiting and they're praying just as Jesus had instructed. Here's the curious thing. They don't even know what they're praying for. There's not this, rec- this full cognitive realization of what it is that they're asking or praying about. They're just listening. They're just trying to be in God's presence. They're just waiting for what Jesus had promised, not even realizing what the promise was about. But those that are waiting, Scripture tells us, numbered 120. What happened to the crowd? What happened to the thousands? What happened to the shouting, adoring fans during Jesus' triumphal entry? Where were they? And here we begin to see the difference between those who get stuck in reading through Leviticus and those who bear evidence of a holy fire. A Pentecost, this particular day, uh, is, is the Hebrew word Shavuot. And Shavuot uh, was what we would call Pentecost. It's a Greek word. Pentecost, a Greek word for 50. It's a simple word, nothing special about that. But Shavuot occurs 50 days after the first day of Passover. Passover is also known as, as, as I'm sorry, the, the Pentecost is also known as the Feast of Weeks because it occurred seven weeks after Passover. Now, in the, in the Hebrew tradition, Jewish tradition, it commemorated the single most important event in Israel's history. It's when God gave the Torah, the first five books of the Hebrew Bible and in our Bible, to Moses at Mount Sinai. They celebrated the giving of the law. Don't miss this. This day, this Pentecost, Shavuot, as the Hebrews, as the Jews would, would celebrate it, was to recognize the law God gave those people. God's invitation to walk in relationship. God's calling to be holy as he is holy. It's also one of three major pilgrimage festivals, which all Jewish males, let's not miss this, were required to observe at the temple in Jerusalem. What Jesus has now done is drawn another crowd. Bigger than any crowd he's drawn before. If there were thousands or 5,000 men on the side of the mountain, how many more are now in Jerusalem to recognize and to celebrate this festival of weeks? They're in town for a reason. They're supposed to be. So the crowd has shown up, and God's about to show up again. Love this. Because just as Jesus reclaimed the Passover, becoming our sacrificial lamb, now we see God repurpose and redefine the very purpose of Pentecost. It was looked at as a celebration of the giving of God's law. But God's law had been distorted. But now the Holy Spirit shows up as an act of reclaiming God's law, showing us how to live out the life that He saved us to live. Isn't God incredible? To me, that's one of those theological moments. Jesus came to redefine Passover. He becomes the fulfillment of God's promises. We just finished talking about that a few few weeks ago. The promises were where He brings us out of Egypt. He brings the Egypt out of us. He brings us salvation. He brings us deliverance. He brings us freedom. But then they go a step further. God also promises the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's then given to redefine, to define once again, or to restore the law to its original purpose. So that we could live the life that He saved us to live. All of this makes perfect sense when you begin to understand exactly what's happening. Be holy. Because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Be like me. And he gives us the law to show us what that looks like. It's not meant to keep us captive and to weigh us down. It's to bring us freedom. So that we can show the rest of the world what it looks like to walk face to face with him. Live out holiness the way I live it out. Draw others to me, God says. See, being God's chosen people, which the Israelites were, it's never about separation. It was always about invitation. Inviting others to come to know who He is. Not about isolating ourselves or separating ourselves from a world who needs God. But rather to be filled with His Spirit, to be empowered to go into a world who, who desperately needs to understand Him. Come to know Him. We are now God's chosen people. Invited to be holy because He is holy. It's not an external call to holiness. Rather, it's a heart work. It's a heart-burning call to holiness. And when that occurs in our lives, when the fire burns within us, there's a holy smoke that emanates, and we are compelled, we are motivated, we are moved to send out new signals to a world who desperately needs to hear the message that we have received and embraced. It begins in Leviticus. We see it again in Acts chapter 2. 
Now let me jump to Acts chapter 8. So we get to the heart of what's on my mind, my spirit today. In Acts chapter 8, we see the apostles begin to venture out. And this is right after Stephen's been stoned. We know Saul and, and the other persecutors are on the hunt for Christians. And we see Philip and we see Simon, or I'm sorry, we see Peter and John. They're out and about and they're beginning to share the message. They're still uh, just beginning the work that God has for them. The church is being persecuted. They're under attack. And they meet a man named Simon. Simon the sorcerer, Scripture defines him as. He was one who had practiced sorcery. He amazed people by the, the acts he was able to perform. And, and, and here come Peter and John. Peter and John now begin to amaze people in a different way. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, they're showing a different source of power. And people are now turning from Simon, Peter and John. Now Simon, even though he was misguided, wasn't in the right place, a little curious about what's happening. And he runs up to Peter and John, and we read in verse 18 of Acts chapter 8, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them, Peter and John, money. And he said, give me also this ability, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. He saw something there that was desirable, something that he wanted, but he wanted it the easy way. He pay for it. What can I give you for you to give me that power? Now, in the language that we see in, in, in Acts chapter 8, we recognize what Simon, Simon was after was the ability. And the ability implies he wanted authority. He wanted to be able to give so that people would recognize something in him. And, and for some of us, uh, we often want what Simon wanted. We want to kind of be able to do the right thing or say the right thing so that others will see in us good things. Yet we're to do those things so that others would see God in us. We want what's quick. We want what's easy. It's easy to buy it. It's easy to earn it. We often want what God requires. We want to result in the least amount of exhibition by it. Some, we don't want to mess it up. It's a legitimate concern. For others, well, we just decided we're only going to give so much. As long as we can get that Holy Spirit for that amount, if we can get a bargain, then we're all in. Simon liked what he saw, he wanted it. Didn't yet understand it. Some of us, the Holy Smoke in our lives kind of reflects Simon's life a little bit. He wanted to buy it. He wanted what was easy. Didn't want to cost too much. Didn't want to be inconvenient. There's a lesson in that for us. And if I can tell a story to kind of help introduce it, I think it'll begin to make more sense. When I was about 16, 17 years old, my family just built a new house, and we had a back deck, and we, we bought for the very first time gas or propane. It was this big black thing. It was huge. It was really nice. I liked that. And one day I, I was home by myself, and I decided I was going to grill me a hot dog. I like hot dogs, if you don't mind. But I don't like boiled hot dogs. They got to be grilled. They got to be done just right. I'm kind of a hot dog snob. Of all things to be a snob about, I'm, I'm a snob about hot dogs. It doesn't make sense to me either, but that's just the way that I am. I just want to grill me a hot dog. So I went, I turned the gas on, and I turned the burners on, and I waited a few seconds, and I made a very critical mistake. This is you. The lesson I learned that day don't hit the igniter button with the lid closed. There was a mini boom. The lid shot up. The grill moved. I moved too. <laughs> After that, I was a little hesitant. I think my eyebrows were a little shorter. <laughs> but I was fortunate. It would have been a lot worse. I was inexperienced. I was ignorant. But, but I liked what I saw. I wanted a, a grilled hot dog. I just didn't understand it quite yet. I rushed in without knowing what I was getting into. Oh, I've learned never push the button to ignite the grill without lifting up the lid. Over the years, I've learned other lessons as well. I found flavors and seasoning and sauces that can cover up my inexperience or my inadequacies or my impatience. One of my favorites is Worcestershire sauce. And you don't know if I said that right or not because you can't pronounce it either. But I like it. it. Covers up a lot of mistakes. 
Maybe you've got your favorite rub that you use or seasoning, marinade. The truth is, we can cover up a lot of flaws with those things. The real grill masters, they don't need all that stuff. God doesn't need all that stuff. We've gotten really good at covering up our flaws, our inadequacies, or our inexperiences with different sauces, marinades, seasoning. If you're one who likes to cook with a smoker, they've even got stuff for you. It's called liquid smoke. You can create smoky tasting foods by putting this on your food and putting it in the oven. You can cheat. Kind of tastes just like the real thing. But if you're a real smoker, you know this is not going to cut it. You can see and taste right through this. You know if it's genuine or not. The reality is, for many of us, in many of our churches today, not just our church, many churches today, this is what we've replaced holiness with. Liquid smoke. Fake. Powerless. I'm like Simon. God, how can I buy it? How can I get you to show up, Lord, just for an hour? Just for now. Because I can come and worship. If you're here for just an hour, I feel really good and I can go about my week and really not be changed by anything. Just liquid smoke. Nothing holy about that. Church, God sees right through us. God knows when we're genuine and when we're not. We've really got it all figured out. We've learned to play the part. We can say the right words. We can do the right things when others are watching. We can even smell right. We may even taste good. But to the discerning palate, see right through it. God sees through the facade. He sees past the imitation. Recognizes there's really not any smoke to be seen. It also means that there's no fire added. Spirit's not just there partially. He's lacking altogether. Peter responds to Simon in Acts chapter 8, May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money? You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. We want to be the real thing. We're called to be the real thing. God equips us to be the real thing. Be less is not only insincere, it is a lie of the deepest proportion. Not just to God, but to ourselves. How do we know? How do we know if we're the real thing? Or if the smoke coming or emanating from our lives is the real thing? How do we know? Well, we have to do a little bit of self-examination. We have to first examine our faith. Real quickly, let me tell you about how you can know. When we examine our faith. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, Paul tells us, to his letter to the church in Corinth, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Lest, of course, fail the test. Ask hard questions. Or maybe ask yourself some simple questions. Read Scripture. Read about Jesus' life. Compare his life to your own and evaluate who Jesus is versus who we are. There will always be, let me tell you this, there will always be a gap. Okay, can I just tell you that? There will always be a gap between who Jesus is and who we are. That should not concern us. Because God in his love, great love for us, fills the gap with his grace. The concern for us is when we try to fill the gap ourselves. His grace fills the gap. The Holy Spirit fills that gap. That's why the Spirit was given. There's always going to be a gap. But the Spirit fills that gap and helps us be faithful with his assistance in ways that we could never be on our own. Are we willing to measure, to examine ourselves honestly and truly? Once we have examined our faith, now examine our loyalty. John chapter 15, verses 4 and 5, Jesus says this, Remain in me, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I remain in you, you'll bear much fruit. 
But apart from me, you can do. Apart from me, you're just liquid smoke. Apart from me, you're just an imitation. Who are we connected to? When we examine our loyalty, are we willing to ask, oh, God help me. Are we willing to ask what fruit my life is producing? Are you willing to ask yourself that question? What fruit is your life? What fruit is your life? This week I had a friend send me a message, and I didn't realize how much I needed the message, and so I read it. And it was was a friend from my last church in West Virginia, and and we're we're coming up on a year that I've been with you, and that's something I, I hope is worth celebrating. I'm excited about that. But my friend sent me a message, and it was a reminder of the fruit that we had produced. It was still being produced from the time that our time of service and ministry in West Virginia. And I'm so thankful for that, that reminder. It's a reminder not just of what we've done. I don't care less about what we've done. It's a reminder that I'm still connected to the vine. That's what I get excited about. What fruit is your life producing? Oh, that's a measure that could really tell a story. Because ultimately, that's the measure of showing what it is that we're connected to. Apart from me, Jesus says, you can do nothing. My fear is that too often we've switched places and we think we're the vine. Jesus is the vine. What kind of fruit is my life producing? The third examination we need to do, Jesus summarizes for us in John chapter 21, verse 15. When, as he's talking to Simon Peter, this is after his his resurrection, he's meeting with Simon Peter, this, this conversation of restoration. And he's asked Peter the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Simon Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. And this happens two more times where Peter gets hurt. Jesus has to kind of correct Peter and remind him of what this is all about. But it always comes back to, it always comes back to Jesus' sheep. It always comes back to others always comes back to his commission that he's given to us to make disciples. It always comes back to dirty work that we just finished talking about last week. It always comes back to us going to those who don't yet know him, to being salt and light, attracting, drawing others to a God who loves them. Takes us all the way back to Leviticus chapter 19. Moses tells the people, be holy as I Pursue people. Love them. I, Lord, love them. Draw them to me. Because I, the Lord, have drawn you to me. See, holiness is not about what we do or what we don't do. It's about who we are. It's about being. And in our being, we come face to face with God. We walk intimately with him. And he leads us our zugos, this yoke we've had up here for weeks, Jesus leads us to those who need to know. Real evaluation boils down to this. After we've examined our faith and our loyalty and our love, the picture that we see is whether or not we're real, whether we're a fake. Whether the holy smoke that emanates from us is from a holy fire, whether it's just one that we've created. No room for imitation. Enough imitations in churches today. I'm not being critical, don't get me wrong, because I think we could be guilty of some of this. And, and I, I say that because I can look at the fruit that's being produced or the lack of fruit. In that, God shows us something incredibly important. I want to be one who emanates holy smoke. His holy fire. You're driving down the road and you see smoke in the distance. Am I the only one that gets curious? What am I going to see when I drive up upon this smoke? Sometimes it's darker and it's thicker or you can see it's been billowing really high in the sky. You know you're about to drive upon something pretty significant and serious. It's a big deal. It's a big fire. And you're kind of hoping it's not a house fire. 
That's not a good thing. So when we see the smoke, we get curious. We want to know. What do people see when they see it? Does this big billowing pillar of smoke, the fire within us is burning so so hot and so intently, when people come up, they're just like, whoa, look at that. Just a curiosity. Is it fake? I want to be the real thing. You have to be the real thing. Over these next few weeks together, we're going to talk about what it looks like to be holy smoke. Culture needs to needs to encounter a church receive God's holy smoke. Could you stand with me? We close this morning. This is just a self-examination, an evaluation. What fruit is your life producing? That in itself tells a story. Defines for us our next step. Get rid of the fake. Choose what's real. Father, we thank you for this turning of the calendar, for, for these new seasons that we step into, for, Lord, these moments of celebration. Today, God, we recognize Pentecost. <laughs> the giving of your law. The giving, Lord, of your invitation to be holy as you are holy. To be like you, to reflect you, to model you. To, to attract others to you, to introduce others to you, to walk with you intimately face to face. We celebrate the giving of your Holy Spirit that helps us, that enables and equips us. Emanate holy smoke. To be, Lord, who you've created us to be. Help others, Lord, come to find and discover who you are. Lord, would you show us anything fake in us? You reveal to us, Lord, the gap between who Jesus is and who we are. God, I pray when we recognize what that gap is, Lord, that we would embrace the Spirit, Lord, that you have already poured out to fill in that gap to help us to become who you, Lord, have called us to be. Holy. Our holy. May our lives draw others to you. May the smoke we that comes from us, God, be attractive, be it be an indication. May it be evidence, God, of fruit. The life that's connected to the vine and producing fruit for you. Lord, there's some more chapters in this conversation that we need to talk about. God, it begins today with us acknowledging whether what's in us, is it real? Father, be glorified, I pray, to your people. We go home and fire up our grills. Pray that our neighbors wouldn't just smell what we're cooking. Lord, they'd get a little tasty. Amen. God bless you. Happy grilling. Mm-hmm.